Hello and welcome to another episode of The Messed Up Gardener. My name is Esther Aiken and I'm your host for today and I'm absolutely buzzed to be here. For the last several days we are again experiencing rain and sadly it is again in the middle of pollination. As I think I've mentioned a few times now living in the Bay of Plenty, the main crops that are mostly grown here is kiwi fruit and avocados. Although bees will work in the rain it's not ideal and a number of orchards also spray on dry pollen to increase fruit set numbers which are activities that can't happen if it's raining. Literally raindrops the size of cats and dogs. Okay, so I may have slightly exaggerated there, but you get my point. I am hopeful that there has been enough dry patches in between for the orchardists to still get significant pollination results. The seasons literally have not lately been very kind to our local growers. There are lots of orchards that have been struggling with vines that didn't recover from last season and there was a lot of crop losses with a late frost the previous year and it's going to take I would say another year or two for the industry to hopefully fully recover. And as you can imagine with the rain I haven't been able to get out into my garden much either which is really disappointing because I had so many plans to start recording my tutorials on seed rearing, splitting and repotting houseplants and so on. I am looking at potentially developing an online course for beginner, intermediate and advanced gardeners and keeping it at a very affordable price. It is incredible how many people I have been speaking to lately that just aren't sure how to grow their own produce and with all my experience I would love nothing more than to be able to share that knowledge even if it only helps one person, I'd be happy. So let me know if there's a topic you think I should be including in those tutorials. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So while I was cruising through my garden, I am very excited about the cuttings I took last year from the historical fig, which are doing incredibly well and I can't wait to fully pot them up. My cucumbers are cranking up their neutralising and I'm looking forward to hopefully getting a decent harvest out of those as well. Just got to make sure with the humidity I stay on top of any potential moulds and mildews that may decide to make a home in some of my more susceptible crops. I've already been out spraying a milky solution on some of my courgettes to try and counteract a few powdery mildew occurrences. Right, so a few days ago, I was having a conversation about strawberries with a gardening colleague, especially as there seems to be a slight shortage this year for strawberry plants. This is still as a result of the bad weather we had over the last year with the months of consistent rain, wet and miserableness, which pretty much means that come Christmas this year, the strawberries are going to be hellishly expensive and probably not on most people's pavlovas which normally is surrounded with either kiwi fruit or delicious strawberries. I have a number of strawberry plants dotted around my garden and in a few veggie pods that were given to me as a gift a few years ago. One of the debates we had was, are strawberries more productively reproduced from seed or from cuttings? So this started a little bit of a research project for me and I went off on a tangent. So a typical strawberry plant with perfect conditions, which means regulated and appropriate amounts of water applied, most strawberry plants can produce a fair amount of runners. And under ideal conditions, you can harvest from a single plant between 30 and 50 runners. Again, it depends on the variety of strawberry plants and how vigorously it's growing. So 
that on its own I thought was quite fascinating because even some of my most abundant strawberry plants have never quite produced that many. But I guess if you're purposely trying to propagate strawberry plants, then you would manage them obviously at an ideal condition. So that's pretty much the asexual way other than division of the main crown how strawberry plants reproduce. But I wanted to see if it was going to be viable to spend the time harvesting and growing strawberry plants from seed. It turns out that on average, each strawberry fruit has approximately 200 seeds. And strawberries, interestingly enough, are the only fruit that wear their seeds on the outside. And from the research, I was able to glean that out of 100 strawberry seeds, there is roughly a 60% germination rate, which means if you harvest six big fat strawberries off your strawberry plant and you pick every single seed off, assuming you get, say, 600 good looking, juicy, yellow, healthy seeds, and you go on to propagate them out, you will get on average 360 seedlings, which sounds amazing. But if you can take a whole season to harvest seed to dry and cold treat the seed, since you have to to surprise the seed with a cold snap for them to optimally germinate, which is very time consuming because you also have to prick them out and hope like crazy they don't die from dampening off. And there's no guarantee that the plants from the seed germination are going to be true to their parents' characteristics, whereas a propagated runner from a strawberry plant can produce fruit within a growing season and is the exact replication of the parent plant. So if the parent plant tasted, sorry, the parent fruit tasted yummy, then so would its offspring. So yes, you may get a large number of seedlings from harvesting the seed from a strawberry fruit, but there are so many variables in productivity. It's like a potluck. Some dishes may taste incredible and some will disappoint. The runners, however, have a much higher chance of successfully transplanting and producing fruit in the same season when compared to growing from seed. So the debate is still open as to are strawberries more productively reproduced from seed or from runners. I'm leaning more towards asexual reproduction. I suppose if you have enough plants and you are harvesting the runners and planting them over a period of a year or two, you would definitely have quite a nice large patch of strawberry plants. Say for every 10 plants you had 10 runners, your growing season would end up with 110 plants in your strawberry patch. And if in the following season you harvest another 10 runners from each plant, that would give you another additional 1,100 plants potentially, plus the original 110. So that's a total of 1,210 plants. So effectively, do you even need to attempt to sow strawberry seeds or do you just spend 20 bucks and buy a few strawberry plants and propagate those on? Either way, it's a nice, messy conundrum. I personally will probably continue to just grow from runners, especially if I have a nice, tasty producing plant that I can continue to propagate. Right, enough about strawberries. So as per the title of this episode, let's talk all things sexual and asexual plant propagation. I figured it might pay to at least give you a definition of what I'm talking about. So as you can imagine, sexual propagation involves the floral parts of a plant and generally results in producing seeds. Asexual propagation involves taking a part of one parent plant and causing it to regenerate itself into a new plant. Genetically, it is identical to its one parent. 
Asexual propagation involves the vegetative parts of a plant, stems, roots or leaves and asexual reproduction in plants occurs through budding, fragmentation, vegetative propagation and spore formation with the major methods of asexual propagation are being cuttings, layering, division, budding and grafting. I think one of my most favorite plants for all time that root produces asexually is the hen and chicken fern. Each year I try and take the babies or what I like to call the chicklets off once they get too big for the plant and I try to grow them on and I think this year I may have finally been successful. I have been growing them in a bit of potty mix in a plastic dish covered with a plastic bag and so far they look amazing. I'm hoping to place them in a small aquarium that I want to transform into a terrarium. I'm actually as you can tell a little bit well maybe a lot excited about it but you just have to you know you know, so just to give you a little bit more detail, the hen and chicken fern, also known as the Asplenium bulbiliforum, ugh, my Latin stinks, is a unique and fascinating fern that reproduces again both sexually and asexually. Sexual reproduction occurs when the fern produces spores on the undersides of its fronds. These spores are released into the environment and can grow into new ferns if they land in a suitable location with adequate moisture and light. Asexual reproduction, on the other hand, occurs through the production of the bulbous. Okay, I'm I'm going to call them chiclets. These are small round structures that form at the base of the fern's fronds. Over time, these little chiclets grow into new ferns and are genetically identical to the parent plant. If you're interested in propagating hen and chicken ferns, the easiest method is to remove the chiclets from the parent plant and plant them in a well-draining potting mix. Make sure to keep the soil moist and provide bright indirect light with proper care. Your new ferns should begin to grow and thrive in no time. I had a number of hen and chicken ferns at the house I lived in before I moved to my current home and on one particular hen and chicken fern it had a very large frond with a number of chiclets on it. I ended up just pinning it flat onto the soil next to the parent plant while the main frond was still obviously attached to the parent plant and it was really successful because the chiclets ended up setting root in the mulch. I wish I'd been able to take them with me again such an amazing process of reproduction in the garden. Okay so now I've talked I kind of covered a number of asexual propagation methods of which several were natural occurrences. For example, the hen and chicken fern establishing its babies on the fronds and the strawberries growing from runners. But there is also the human element of asexual reproduction and the most common method is by doing cuttings. And of course, there is grafting where you are taking a piece of plant material and placing it into another plant and on growing grafting is a common occurrence. For example, growing a couple of different varieties of apple on one rootstock or a rose being grafted onto a set rootstock variety. This mainly occurs when you have a rootstock from a rose species that may be very hardy to disease or drought. And if you have a pretty variety that may not be as robust as the other variety, then you can graft the other two and Sorry, you can graft the two together and you get the best of both worlds, a resilient rootstock and pretty flowers. In a number of commercial situations, this is often done to speed up fruit production. For example, avocados in New Zealand grafted onto a certain type of rootstock with established wood from the chosen production variety 
grafted onto that rootstock to promote fruiting much faster. Without the graft, it can take seven to 10 years before it produces fruit. However, with the graft, it can take three to four years, basically cutting the fruiting time by more than half. And obviously, time is money in today's economy. This next method that I want to talk about, I've used a few times in situations where I've had the time to let nature do its own thing. Rather than taking cuttings and going through the process of setting roots and hoping that the cuttings are successful, the layering method is a great way to propagate plants and create new ones that are genetically identical to the parent plant. This method works well for plants with flexible stems such as blackberries, raspberries, strawberries and roses. I have used this method on hydrangeas, camellias and blueberries and at the moment I have a few branches of my is also poked into the ground. It is a very easy methodology to asexually reproduce a plant variety if you have a little bit of space and time. I'll quickly share with you the steps to propagate plants using the layering method. Select a healthy, flexible stem that is long enough to reach the ground. Bury the stem in the soil, leaving the tip of the stem exposed to keep the stem in place. Use a wire, a stone, or a U-shaped pin. Some propagating specialists like to rough up the part of the stem that has been pushed under the ground because the cambium, when damaged, can set root a lot faster. Unfortunately, also increasing the risk of infection at the site. So you could put a little bit of rooting hormone gel on it or a dab, uh, a little bit of manuka honey, on the site before planting as well to prove you know prevent a potential infection keep the soil moist and wait for the stem to develop roots this can take several weeks to several months depending on the plant species once the stem has developed roots cut it from the parent plant and plant it in a new location water the new plant regularly and monitor its growth the layering method is an easy and effective way to propagate plants and create new ones without using seeds or cuttings. It is also a great way to preserve the genetic traits of the parent plant. If you do have any questions or need further assistance, absolutely feel free to ask. I'm more than happy to have a conversation about some of these methodologies. Okay, so I've covered cuttings, layering, grafting. Let's have a look at division. I'm going to go back to the classic here and for purposes of this episode I'm going to use the peacefully again as an example only because they are a fabulous beginner plant and you can go you can't go very wrong when dividing these out. Now the peacefully loves to grow quite compactly in their pots. They have a number of almost individual plant shoots with roots that when you divide them easily they turn into very easily into individual plants but I really like being able to rough up my peace lilies and pull them apart and basically pot them up. Division can be really easy, very crude and generally has a fantastic success rate if you divide plant species that can cope with division which is again a form of asexual propagation. Strawberry plants are another one you can divide where the crowns tend to grow in multiples and you can basically split them out gently of course and repot them. Try not to mess around with the roots too much because obviously the less damage you do to the roots the the greater the chance of successfully re-establishing that particular division. Sometimes division is a really easy way to increase your numbers without having to put a lot of work into the propagation techniques. As long as you can use clean potting mixes, clean containers and clean division tools such as a sharp spade if you're cutting up things like agapanthus, then you can keep potential infix, you know, infections to a minimum and have a fairly high success rate. Now an asexual propagation technique that is 
definitely for the more advanced gardeners, and that is budding. So budding is actually a grafting technique in which a single bud from the desired plant is used rather than an entire section containing many buds from the desired plant. And most budding is completed just before or during the growing season. There are some species that may be budded during the winter when they are dormant, but mostly it is when the sap is actively flowing because there's nothing worse than having a limb without blood flow. This method requires some very sharp knives and cleanliness is extremely important. It is time consuming and practice definitely makes improvements. I have done budding with hydrangeas in the past with some amazing results and I've also completed budding in one of my plum trees where I wanted to see if I could add an additional variety. It was successful and it was definitely an interesting experience. That's not to say I haven't done years of traditional grafting but I still love the challenge of completing a budding graft. Now we've talked a lot about the methodologies behind a sexual reproduction. But here are some examples of what that actually looks like. For example, garlic, onions and tulip plants are all reproduced using what called what are called true bulbs. Then there is the crocus and the gladiola that uses corms to reproduce, which are similar to, again, the true bulbs. The potato, which if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, it uses a tuber or what we traditionally know is the potato to reproduce. Then there are ginger plants that reproduce using rhizomes and of course as discussed strawberry plants reproduce asexually using stolons. So just to be clear or runners, just to be clear sexual reproduction is very much aimed at plants flowering being fertilized by pollen and producing seeds and regrowing from that seed, which is very much different to that asexual reproduction. I hope that this particular episode on asexual and sexual reproduction propagation was helpful. It's amazing how many different options there are out there for propagating out vegetation, both by human interaction and, of course, by nature's own magic. If you do have any gardening questions, please do reach out. I'm going to keep compiling a list, and every now and again, I'll do an episode on a bunch of combined questions, or I'll add it to the quick and messy 10-minute or less garden chats, which come out, I believe, every Wednesday. Every week, I mention this and uh, don't be shy, let me know if you are needing some private coaching, no matter what level from beginner to experience, reach out and let's chat. I have a few one-on-one gardening mentoring spots available. Sometimes it really is easier to accomplish a task or a project having a gardening mentor and quietly holding you accountable to whatever tasks you set. Flick me a DM or email me and let's check to see how we can work together. My contact details, as always, are in the show notes. Don't forget to email or DM me for any one of my gardening freebies. And as always, I say gardening can happen in any space and in any place and on any budget. Have an incredibly abundant week and I will buzz you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I would love to hear about your gardening adventures. Flick me a DM on Instagram at The Messed Up Gardener or send me an email and let's connect. Don't forget to check out my gardening reels on TikTok. If you are looking for some help planning your next garden project or just need some one-on-one private coaching, reach out and let's get growing. If you have a garden-related business or you're looking at starting a gardening business, including arboriculture, land clearing, firewood or a general plant growing and selling business, 
Let's work together in my one-on-one private business development coaching container, having helped my clients grow several six-figure plus businesses, including from startup to working on million-dollar open space management contracts for many years now. Let me help you and let's grow your business so you can leapfrog your profits and establish a viable and sustainable business. If you're looking for a business podcast, check out my The Let's Biz You Up podcast available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If this episode was at all helpful, please share with others and let's get growing in any space, in any place and on any budget. Till next time, happy gardening and buzz you later.